Black Op Radio presents Oliver Stone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Black Op Radio. We are talking with noted filmmaker, dramatist Oliver Stone. Thank you, Mr. Stone, so much for taking time to talk to me today. Yeah. Hi, uh, Len. How have you been? Good. Good. Uh, we were just reminiscing that we met about a year ago in Quebec when they had a, a good uh, tribute to you, a week-long festival of all things Oliver, and that was great. Today, I really want to talk about your new film, which is Nuclear Now. Just ask you how that happened and what you hope people get out of it, because whenever I watch a film, I get something out of it. And then you read a book, you talk to the author or the filmmaker, and you go, geez, I, there was a couple of things I overlooked. And so the, the film is called Nuclear Now, and it's based off a bright future. So it started with you reading that book. Well, no, first of all, it's not a novel. It was a... Uh, I didn't mean novel. A factual uh, scientific presentation of the need for nuclear energy as part of the solution. The idea being that it has been removed from the mainstream. And it's, it's simply vanished like an ugly sister, like Cinderella being put in the back of the kitchen to mop the floor. You don't hear nuclear being mainstream and the fact is that it is very much mainstream and it may end up being volume wise one of the largest energy sectors we have that's clean uh the reason is uh and the book goes into detail the book is called a bright future and it's by oh by uh, uh, joshua goldstein and stefan skavist who's a swedish nuclear scientist and they wrote this in 2019 i I ran into it. I was concerned very much so about climate change and change and the future. I mean, my daughters and my sons, uh, grandsons, I'm going to hopefully have, but it doesn't look good because the if you follow the statistics, everything the IPCC has predicted since 2080 is uh, since 1980 has pretty much happened. Uh, that's from 1980 to 2000, 2000 to 2020. We just keep going up on the carbon dioxide and the methane gas. So the atmosphere is not getting any cooler. It's getting warmer. We have evidence this summer, as you know, I mean, plenty of evidence all over the world. I just got back from Europe. I have to tell you, it's very hard to walk the streets of any city in the southern sector of Europe, Rome or Paris, and, and not get exhausted by the uh, the heat. It's really debilitating. I was in Jerusalem, too. And in Madrid, Madrid was really bad. So uh, it's all over the place. I mean, I don't know if you're what part of the country you're in, but in the south, it's it's terrible this summer. The hottest days, they say this is the hottest July on record. On record. Uh, so I mean, even if you're a climate denier, even if you are, it seems to me the you still want to have clean energy as opposed to using fossil fuels. And that is the argument that Josh makes. We're not saying it's the only solution, but it's the logical and cleanest solution. And it can be built up at cost and it can be built up at volume. That's the important thing. You can do the scale. The size of this thing is enormous. We predicted, we showed uh, internal temperature is high. Temp uh, it's uh -huh. your computer. So yeah. you, uh, it's like indicating to you very clearly. Um, uh, Josh is, I'm, I'm sorry, I got cut off in mid-sentence. You went, you went off yeah. the screen. You no, I'm back? still here. Sorry. 
uh, yeah, what was I saying? I'm sorry, I got confused at that point. Uh, just that uh, you're walking around in Europe, you're uh, it's the temperatures yeah, everywhere, even if you're a climate denier. Yeah. Even if you're a climate denier, there's just it's the put it this way: every country is different. You know, China has this, and India has more sun. Northern countries have more wind. So you know, the solutions in renewables is is to use as little carbon dioxide as possible, which tends to mean that you use hydropower, water, and uh, you use wind, and you use solar and there's other forms of it but they don't really add up to much like biomass doesn't work and there's of course nuclear energy which has been around since the 1960s 70s and 80s it started in the 1940s we trace in the movie nuclear now the history of nuclear energy what it is because it's very important for the audience to understand what this phenomenon is it was a miracle actually and we go into that and show what Marie Curie did and Einstein and the development of nuclear energy, unfortunately, was confused and conflated with the development of the nuclear bomb. They're two different processes. And we try to show that very clearly, that in the nuclear energy side of it, it is low, low enriched, it is not enriched uranium. It is a, a form of 5% or less uranium enrichment, no danger to blowing up no danger there. And the radiation that comes from it is basically background radiation. Now, of course, in heavy, well, I don't want to get into, confuse you, but I'm just saying that there's yeah. a huge difference between building a bomb, which requires you to go 90% or more of enrichment. And if you can see from the Iranian situation, for example, all those centrifuges they're building, it takes a lot of difficulty, a lot of work to build a bomb, a lot. And people underestimate that. They think a bomb is pretty easy to build if you have nuclear energy that's not true it's a huge it's a different process and it's much more complicated so we go into these explanations and we go into the show you that nuclear energy is not the danger that it was that was many of the alarmists have been saying it is including the environmentalists it is a huge campaign to discredit it starting in the 1970s Partly because of the Rockefeller Foundation, which is a fossil fuel group, Rockefeller, uh, Standard Oil, and they they put out a false report in 1956 saying that any amount of radiation can harm the human body. This is just not true because we know this now beyond a doubt uh, that Crick and Watson found the DNA, um, uh, and they which has a double helix. DNA is a form of repairing your body while you're while you're alive. And it heals any radiation, low, low, low background radiation that you're exposed to. We are exposed to radiation all the time, every day. You eat a banana, you, you're eating radiation. You, uh, it's, a, it's a low level. But if you live in higher altitudes, it's higher in the Rocky Mountains or in Iran. And the, uh, you go to the dentist's office. Uh, if you, if you, if you get a, you get a radi you get radiation from the X-rays. And uh, when you have obviously cancers, you have high levels of radiation. But all this is manageable, and has been dealt with for years. So the panic around radiation is unwarranted, and we try to show that in a calm, logical, scientific way. Yeah.
Well, it was a fantastic intro. I've got some checkpoints. And and when I was watching the introduction, you really gave a good background of where the fear came from. You know, I mean, the, the first time people heard of this was in a nuclear bomb that blew up Hiroshima. And then the movies that came out, you know, Godzilla and things like that. So there's where the fear is of, of the unknown. And then you hear of people, you know, putting small nuclear reactors in submarines and other low, small places where manageable situations seem to run for no problems, right? For years and years. And then um, you have to make the case that, well, a nuclear power plant is, um, you know, different than, uh, uh, you know, like you say, managing a bomb, you know? So um, it, is, uh, yeah. it, it was a really good job on the documentary that way. Thank you. Yeah. And, and then, also the, the fact that you went through, you started, I think, 1896, 1905, 19, up to 1954. And um, one thing that interested me, you did a, a lot of um, a work around the world, especially in, in the Soviet Union or, or Russia at this time. You know, that was um, they were open to talking about their their power plants. That they, you know, there was some a lot of work going around the world that was going on that um, people were proud of, and they didn't have the same uh, fear factor. Do you oh, want to yeah. just discuss um, how you got into some of these other power plants? Well, as part of the we the argument, I mean, first of all, we the first part of the documentary ends with we basically are saying that this is a great tragedy for the world because we wouldn't even be talking about climate change now if in fact the united states had led the way into into a nuclear future and they and they were trying to uh, president eisenhower followed by john kennedy both supported nuclear power and the adams for peace program under eisenhower it started and it was very heavily promoted but by the 1970s uh, with the Rockefeller people, the fossil fuel people were fighting against it, promoting, of course, for, for profit their own their own fossil fuel. They didn't want to have the competition from nuclear. But nobody, I can't. We can't prove that they had. It was a conspiracy. We can only say that it's business as usual. It was competitive, but they did put out the fear factor, and the fear factor grew. And a lot of horror films. You mentioned Godzilla, but there was a lot more than that. And everything that was radiated was dangerous. Two-headed babies, monsters that looked like they wouldn't got they wouldn't die if you tried to shoot them. It was it was really in our subconscious. And of course, by the time uh, Jane Fonda's film comes out, which is um, uh, uh, based on the not not based on it was came it came out at the same time as Three Mile Island accident. The accident at Three Mile Island in 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 Ohio was a meltdown, but no, and radiation leaked, but there was a containment structure and nothing, no civilians were hurt. In other words, it was contained and it worked. The, the whole, the, the concept of a nuclear plant worked, but people didn't understand that. They got, it was retreated as if it was a disaster. It was not a disaster. No one died. And in fact, nothing, there was no residue. And despite all the stories, then after that, uh, but it was treated like it was. And then we had Silkwood, if you remember that movie. Yeah, and yeah. It, it had a cumulative impact. So we stopped building after Chernobyl, which was the only really major accident we've ever had on nuclear energy. The only one that was in Russia, in the Ukraine. 
when the and they built a, frankly the Soviet Union, which was then in decay, really built a sloppy structure. It wasn't well done. They had no containment structure, and there was a a leak, a massive leak of low-level radiation through northern Europe. But aside from the 51st responders who were died, the we never could assess, they never could assess the damage on a broad scale. It wasn't at all what was pictured by the environmentalists, which was a disaster, you know, that millions or thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people died. That's not true. In fact, the uh, United Nations and the World Health Organization traced it down to 4,000 possible deaths from low-level radiation throughout Northern Europe. That's quite a big area. Compared to chemical disasters like at Bhopal, compared to gas disasters, compared to uh, what the coal industry does to the air, the pollution in the air from coal, these are minor figures, of uh, minor fatalist, fatal figures. It, on the scale of deaths, nuclear is the lowest producing energy we know as of now. And there has been no level of significant level of accident. The one at Fukushima, again, is highly exaggerated because the Fukushima was 2011. It was exaggerated because it was rolled into this tsunami, a tsunami, largest earthquake Japan ever had. And 18 to 20,000 people died from the tsunami and the earthquake. Not one person died from any nuclear disaster. It was, uh, there was a, uh, one one of the 20-some, well, there was quite a few reactors in Japan, but only one was affected because it had a low seawall and there was one of the underground generators was flooded and there was a uh, hydrogen explosion, not a nuclear explosion. And what happened was that there was some radiation leaked, and but no one died. They checked out all the Japanese in the area very very thoroughly, by the way. But nonetheless, Japan closed down its building process, closed down temporarily its reactors, and panicked, and then started to import oil and coal. So uh, the accumulation of these fears led to this slowdown, this stoppage. And the nuclear industry, really, in the, in the West, let's say in the United States, uh, Japan, and Asia, slowed down considerably. Korea closed down. But... It didn't close down in Russia or China or, thank God, in uh, Eurasia and much of the world. In fact, the Rosatom, which is the Russian agency, uh, which we visited uh, and they cooperated with us, uh, continued to build and they built very advanced stuff. Russia is very is Russia and China are way ahead of us in many ways in terms of their nuclear volume. They can. China is now building. $440 billion worth of nuclear reactors, uh, 140 of them by 2038. They're very serious about cutting fossil fuels. Uh, in fact, President Xi has announced that by 2060, China will be down to net zero. And it seems like he might be able to pull that off. Russia is very serious, They, but they could go further, no question. But they are very effective at selling their turnkey plants to go into places like Turkey, uh, uh, Eurasia, and uh, that's very important that they build plants that can be shipped to these two countries and put into place and to and operate without any. You don't have to train a new workforce. The Russians would supply the workforce and so forth. 
So it's a it's an effective way to deal with this thing. The, the point I'm trying to make is that the West shut down and, and the, because of all the environmental groups and the, all the fear and the, frankly, uh, sensationalism about this, and they didn't keep building. We would have been nuclearized by 2020 or 20, to even by 2000. We, the majority of our energy would be nuclearized, and we would have been in a different position when, when we got, we, we only became aware of climate change, most of us in the, the 2000 period, when it became an issue. And at that point, uh, it, the, the game changed. Instead of it being about nuclear energy being the enemy, it was about climate change. How are we going to stop that? And then there was a recognition that it was fossil fuel related. But at that point, nuclear had been shifted off off stage, as I said earlier, had become the Cinderella in the back in the back kitchen mopping the floor while the uglier sisters were out there preening and prawning. And the truth is. In terms of energy production, nuclear is far more effective than solar and wind. It takes a lot to to make to build up a volume on that. You have to take a lot of land and you have to take a lot of turbines in the ocean. It's quite a number to, to do it. It's not to say not to do it, but it costs a lot. And you have to compare the costs of that. And the United States is not good anymore at building. Uh, that's true. I mean, we... A terrible record on building big big stuff but now because of the situation uh, we have many startup countries co companies 70 of them uh, exploring uh, the smaller nuclear mo uh, modular nuclear reactors that, which are smaller and they don't produce the volume but they they appeal to the american mentality and but they're not going to be as effective in in larger countries where we have to we have to build, we have to lead the way for the future, like India and uh, Africa and South America. So in other words, we have never, we haven't led the way. We've, we've ceded the way to Russia and China, but, and, and it's up to them to keep the ball rolling. Right now uh, in the world, we have about 400, about 460 gigawatts of, that's a billion gigawatts of, uh, of, of nuclear energy, which is about, about 20% of our electricity, maybe 11, 12% of our energy usage. That's, that's, that's significant, but it's not what needs to be. We need to get up higher. So we need to build like assembly lines, assembly lines. We need to build five, six times more of what we have. And it can be done. And it can be done either with SMRs, small modular reactors, or it can be done with the bigger reactors, which are continuing to be built in Russia and other places. Uh, Poland, for example, is a new one that's signed on. Uh, it, it's a battle that can be won, but we have to be more aware that nuclear works. And that's the problem because of this horrible environmental uh, war against nuclear, which was wrong. We have blocked it off and we've taken it off the menu that's this is a big mistake. That's really what our film is saying, and we we, we appeal to the to the audience to think about it. Most of the younger people actually agree with us, and they like the they understand the need for nuclear. And there was a poll, and sixty percent of the Americans people actually like want nuclear because they understand now the hole we're in. Well, there's two things about your film. One, I like it. It made it didn't push the idea we have to do this it's like 
did you know what people are doing? And I didn't know a lot about these small nuclear, uh, the SMRs. I didn't know about these. Uh, you said there's 70 startup companies. So there's quite a few um, alternative things going on. I, I think back in the Jane Fonda era, people were afraid that these reactors were so big that if something went wrong, they were unmanageable. And now that I learn your movie really a documentary is making the case. If you didn't know about this, here's what's going on. And people are spearheading these, these new alternative, smaller reactors, and they're quite easy to handle and they may be more palatable, more easy than, than you thought. So that's what I uh, enjoyed. I took away from the film that a lot of the stuff I didn't know about, I, I didn't have to all of a sudden just wave the flag that I'm on board, but you make the case of, well, you know, we have so much wind, we have so much, um, you know, we have to stop burning oil. So with um, wind and solar, here's, you know, it's not enough, though. And so that your, you know, film is an education that here's the percentages, here's what's going on. Now, you make this um, one analogy where the kids are running across the bridge and the trains come and, you know, if you do nothing, you're, you know, you run as fast as you can, or you're going to have to jump off the bridge. You, you've got to do something. And it might be that you have to re take a look at um, nuclear energy. And now the fact is you're saying you did, and you were encouraged by what you found. And uh, it, it's, a re I mean, it's, it's so well done. I know you're, you know, tops in your field, but uh, I, I just enjoyed it so much because if you, if you said we've got to do something else, what else is there? Your documentary just put it all out there. And now I want to learn more. I, yeah. I don't know anything about these startup companies and uh, you know, th that is, you know, the case. Um, yeah. I think that um, sometimes when you hear about GE or Westinghouse and that you think, Oh, they, they built these things so big because they're just greedy, you know? But then when you see these smaller ones, you know, you go, well, that's manageable. That could manage a small community that if you're up in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. They're, you know, when you think about, well, how long have they been running in, in submarines? You know, they, yeah, they're totally encased. They've been running for 25 years at a time. So 50 years. Oh, sure. But you, know, yeah, you, you interview, uh, admirals and that so i mean it's so worthwhile watching this just to get a level playing field because you really did a good job of making the case why people had an, an adverse reaction to even talking about it oh you know you see the skull and crossbones the the radiation we can't even see it you know so it's and a... in fact you you made the case with all the stats about all you know just the harm from burning coal the 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 air quality the pollution the number of cancers the not rates of asthma going up everything i mean uh you know uh it's not a rosy future that way so we have to do something else what else is there well it's not just uh i just would like to point out that you know the uh, united states is still using coal 20 percent of our of the of the uh emissions are of coal most of it is oil and gas is also very dangerous because it's methane. Now it's not as bad as as coal, but on a sh it's very intense methane. And it, it's, if, in other words, you if you have renewables, they can't they don't work all the time. And companies tend to think the the advertise oil companies advertise themselves as the perfect partner for renewables, meaning buy gas. So gas is easy to bring in and back up but you end up using methane 
So it's harder to, to hook up a nuclear backup, but it can be done. There's a lot of factors here, but I just would point out that the, you can't just think about the United States alone. This is a world issue, global issue. We pointed out that we're looking at a world by 2050 where all these poorer countries or less developed countries are going to want more and more electricity. It's natural. They see it on, they, they see it around them. They see other countries. They want to get a grinder uh, to, uh, for sugar or anything, you want to use the, the best you can get. So they're not going to stop. The demand for electricity is going to grow two, three, four times as much. And that's the world we're facing in 2050. That's a danger. So these countries are going to use anything they can to get more production. And they're going to use coal. And if necessary, they're going to use wood. <laughs> uh, because India uses a lot of coal. So does China. And uh, so co coal is a big, big problem, but so is gas and so is uh, oil. But uh, we got to deal with it. And we're not. We're thinking about the United States. It's cool to have SMRs, but we, we got to get those SMRs. If we build them, we got to get them all over the world. We got to get them out there. This is what Russia is doing, at least. And they're contributing to a better world. Uh, so with the tensions we have in the world, of course, it's even more difficult now to solve these things. But we we assume that man is selfish, people are selfish, nations are selfish. But we have to we we have to see that sometimes, even being selfish, we can work for the interests of mankind. And I I just would say that it's not just about us in the United States. Because they're going to, if they have these problems in the in the poorer countries, it's going to overflow. You see the immigration problems; they're going to be flooding the West uh, for uh, refuges, and it's going to become harder and harder. So this is a worldwide problem. We're all related that way. Um, what would be one item that was a pleasant surprise for you in, in this journey? For like, for instance, I didn't realize there's so many people working on building these new type of reactors. Uh, I just, it, it's surprising to me. And I was just, yeah, what was know, something that surprised yeah. you? Well, no, it's good. It's a new generation of young people are back into nuclear energy. There's a lot of young scientists, young people, engineers working in this field, in these startup companies. Uh, you mentioned Westinghouse. They did go bankrupt, but General Electric is still the biggest in terms of energy. Uh, but, of course, nu their nuclear division, they're building some very promising SMRs, no question. Uh, there's a new one they're building with Hitachi, the Japanese company. And it looks very promising. Could be a big deal on a mass scale, but the the startups are mostly smaller companies, younger people, because West, uh, General Electric, their nuclear department is very small compared to their what they do. Their main business being yeah. wind turbines and all kinds of turbine engines, and they build for uh, you know, drilling projects that are gigantic. General Electric makes most of its money in other fields. So nuclear is a small part of it for them. That's why the smaller companies can hopefully make these breakthroughs and uh, lead us out of this wilderness we're in, uh, where we're still spending 60% of our emissions are coal and oil. Um, well, 
Uh, thank you so much for making this documentary. I was just so... By the way, I'm not an expert. No, this is all coming from the book and from the help I got from Josh Goldstein and his partner on this. I, I, I familiarize myself with the material, but I'm an interpreter for what they're saying. Uh, so let me clarify that I'm not a scientist or anything like that, but I really cared and I wanted to make a film, which is very difficult to make a film like this because it's so dry. But I tried to make it as interesting as possible. I no, you did, because the thing is, you don't have to. I didn't expect you to defend and make a case for that. I, I really thought that if you if their book and their research, you brought it out and, yeah. and, and you as me, as the viewers, I learned I learned from this and I learned that there's more to it. And so that's what I enjoyed about it. Not I mean, there are problems. Uh, one problem may be. Um, well, what do you do with the spent nuclear waste or whatever? And, and and when somebody was asking me about that, I thought, well, it's not up to Oliver to solve every problem. He's saying, look, oh. I want to expose that people are working on this problem, and there's more than you thought. Well, let me let me just say, but that we we do go into radioactive waste, and we make and we it's a huge important part of our documentary that you understand that we we have sensationalized radioactive waste to a place where we've killed ourselves off also made it impossible to to grow radioactive waste is not is not is actually nuclear waste is actually a, a boon it's really a, a plus compared to coal and oil and the waste from those products because they just throw them out there into the universe they don't even clean it up uh waste is radio nuclear waste is the most supervised of all it's like watched like a hawk closely so and it's not a lot of waste. After sixty years, you could put all the everything we've used up to now in a in a, in a uh, you said in a Walmart, <laughs> in a Walmart, right? And it's not a lot of waste. It's just and radioactive waste, by the way, decays. Forty years later, ninety nine percent of it is danger of it is done. So it's it's just been over sensationalized. They talk about two hundred thousand years from now, three hundred thousand. There's Finland is 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 digging is building uh, shafts and making it as deep as possible for permanent uh, permanent uh, location in the earth and other countries are following. But uh, the United States military has done that. It's it's solvable. It's not a huge problem. It's a solvable problem. But compare it to climate change and what's up in the air, what's going around in the world. There's no comparison. Climate change is far worse far worse than any amount of radioactive waste. So again, this is thing is blown out of proportion. That's all what we're trying to say in this film. It's yeah. been shunted to the side and that's the best word for it. And if tragically, tragically for his, for mankind, this is a disaster unless we reverse this plan. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Primo. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Um, okay. If we got one minute left, I just want quickly ask you what you thought of Joe Biden shutting down the, the JFK oh, yeah. records. Isn't that awful? I was shocked. He did it on, as you know, on a, a Friday night. Yeah. At late in the night. So he couldn't get coverage in the press. And the press hasn't made much of it because they don't understand that he basically illegally reversed a decision of Congress yeah. and said that they, there will be no more uh the, he took the authority away from Congress and he put it in the CIA and, him, and the president and said that we have the right to withhold 
documents forever, you know. So there it goes, 4,000 documents, right? We're talking yeah. about? At least, you know, that least. we know of. So, I mean, it's just, uh, it's hopeless with a government like this. And for a man who's a supposed Democrat in the tradition of Kennedy, not at all. Kennedy would have opened it up. And it's it's just a shame that we we carry on this way with a, as a national security state. What do we have to lose? I mean, what, what are they scared of? Well, what they're scared of is their own involvement. If it leads back to Alan Dulles and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they were all in on it. Well, I'm not sure that you can. You no, I know, but you could speculate but, because, you know. I think what's they're scared of is just an embarrassment. There's some, obviously the CIA over, went beyond its, beyond its, uh, beyond the normal to cover up things. That's so clear from all the, or all the documentation we've seen to date and the disappearance of files. Yeah. CIA was involved, as you know, with Oswalds yeah. for many years and, it's in there in some way, and that's what's embarrassing, I believe. But it's not necessarily proof, and you can't look for a smoking gun. But you you have to study the case like a Sherlock Holmes, and that's what you put it all together. That's what we, Jim D. Eugenio and I tried to do when we made our film, which is still actually selling very well at Amazon, the uh, JFK Revisited. Yeah, I was just talking to Jim last night. He said it's right up there, and, and it's looking optimistic for this fall. Because it's the 60th anniversary. Right. I love you. Yeah. Okay, okay good Mr. You, Stone. Good you to mention it. I got to run. Thank you so much for your time. Talk to you in the future again. Take care, Prima.